Greetings, fellow humans. Katrina here. Quick disclaimer, I'm a professional, not your professional. Nothing I'm about to say should be taken as medical, legal, or otherwise advice. This podcast is purely for education and amusement. That is it. Disclaimer over. So today I thought I'd talk about what I don't know about management time and who's got the monkey. What I mean by that is there was this thing in the Harvard Business Review in the magazine that they have back in November, December of 1999. And so back then, things might have been a little bit different, but one of the things that was the same is that time existed. So let's dive into it and see what William Ockton and Dr. and Donald Wass, not Dr. Donald Wass, have written in the Harvard Business Review. There is an editor's note. So it says the article was originally published in the November, December 1974 issue of the Harvard Business Review and has been one of the publication's two best-selling reprints ever. For its reissue as a classic, Harvard Business Review asked Stephen R. Covey to provide a commentary. And so there's a sidebar making time for gorillas. That'll be another episode, maybe. I don't know. So why is it that managers are typically running out of time while their subordinates are typically running out of work. Here, we shall explore the meaning of management time as it relates to the interactions between... Oh, there's my ducks quacking. That doesn't mean I have to go this time. I do have alarms for various things, and if you know me, you know that my ducks quack throughout the day. I actually don't know if Zoom picked up the ducks quacking only because think it might have noise suppression on. Anyway, back to what I was saying. We're going to explore the meaning of management time as it relates to the interaction between managers and their bosses, their peers, and their subordinates. Specifically, we shall deal with three kinds of management time. One, boss-imposed time. Two, system-imposed time. And three, self-imposed time. So that boss-imposed time is used to accomplish those activities that the boss requires that the manager cannot disregard without direct and swift penalty. System-imposed time is used to accommodate requests from peers for active support. Neglecting these requests will also result in penalties, though not always direct or swift. Lastly, self-imposed time used to do those things that the manager originates or agrees to do. A certain portion of this kind of time, however, will be taken by subordinates, and is called subordinate-imposed time. The remaining portion will be the manager's own and is called discretionary time. Self-imposed time is not subject to penalty since neither the boss nor the system can discipline the manager for not doing what they didn't know he had intended to do in the first place. To accommodate those demands, managers need to control timing and the content of what they do, since what their bosses in the system impose on the subject, impose on them, are subject to penalty. Managers cannot tamper with those requirements. Thus, their self-imposed time becomes their major area of concern. Managers should try to increase the discretionary component of their self-imposed time by minimizing or do away with the subordinate component. Then they they will then use the added increment to get better control over their boss-imposed and system-imposed activities. Most managers spend much more time dealing with subordinates' problems than they even faintly realize. Hence, we shall use the monkey-on-the-back metaphor 
to examine how subordinate imposed time comes into being and what the superior can do about it. If you've ever heard that saying, not my monkey, or you've even heard it, not my circus, not my monkey, but the whole not my monkey thing comes, I think, from this article written way back when. It says, where is the monkey? Let us imagine a manager is walking down the hall and then he notices one of his subordinates, Jones, coming his way. When the two meet, Jones greets the manager with, good morning. By the way, we've got a problem. You see, dot, dot, dot. As Jones continues, the manager realizes in this problem, the two characteristics common to all the problems his subordinates gratuitously bring to his attention. Namely, the manager knows A, enough to get involved, but B, not enough to make an on-the-spot decision expected of him. Eventually, the manager says, so glad you brought this up. I'm in a rush right now. Meanwhile, let me think about it and I'll let you know. Then he and Jones part company. Let's analyze what just happened. Before the two of them met, on the whose back was the monkey, the subordinates. After they parted, on whose back was it? That was the manager's. Subordinate imposed time begins the moment a monkey successfully leaps from the back of a subordinate onto the back of his or her superior and does not end until the monkey is returned to its proper owner for care and feeding. In accepting the monkey, the manager has voluntarily assumed the position subordinate to his subordinate. That is, he allowed Jones to make him her subordinate by doing two things that a subordinate is generally expected to do for a boss. The manager has accepted responsibility from his subordinate, and the manager has promised her a progress report. The subordinate, to make sure the manager does not miss this point, will later stick her head in the office of the manager, cheerily inquiring, or not inquiring, query, says cheerily query, how's it coming? This is called supervision. Well, let us imagine, in concluding a conference with Johnson, another subordinate, the manager's parting words are, fine, send me a memo on that. Let's analyze this one. The monkey is now on the subordinate's back because the next move is his, but it is poised for a leap. Watch that monkey. Johnson dutifully writes the requested memo and drops it in his outbasket. Shortly thereafter, the manager plucks it from his in-basket and reads it. Whose move is it now? The manager's. If he does not make that move soon, he will get a follow-up memo from the subordinate. This is another form of supervision. The longer the manager delays, the more frustrated the subordinate will become. He'll be spinning his wheels. And the more guilty the manager will feel, his backlog of subordinate-imposed time will be mounting. Or suppose once again that a meeting with a third subordinate, Smith, the manager agrees to provide all the necessary backing for a public relations proposal he has just asked Smith to develop. The manager's parting words to her are, just let me know how I can help. Now let's analyze this. Again, the monkey is initially on the subordinate's back, but for how long? Smith realizes that she cannot let the manager know until her proposal has the manager's approval. And from experience, she also realizes that her proposal will likely be sitting on the manager's briefcase for weeks before he eventually gets to it. Who's really got the monkey? Who will be checking up on whom? Wheel spinning and bottlenecking 
are well on their way again. A fourth subordinate, Reed, has been transferred from another part of the company so that he can launch and eventually manage a newly created business venture. The manager has said they should get together soon to hammer out some objectives for the new job, adding, I'll draw up initial draft for that discussion for you, or with you. Let's analyze this one, too. The subordinate has the new job by formal assignment and the full responsibility by formal delegation, but the manager has the next move. Until he makes it, he will have the monkey and the subordinate will be immobilized. So why does all this happen? Because in each instance, the manager and subordinate assume the outset, wittingly or unwittingly, that the matter of under consideration is a joint problem. The monkey in each case begins with career astride both their backs. All it has to do is move the wrong leg, and presto, the subordinate deftly disappears. The manager is thus left with another acquisition for his menagerie. I don't know if I know that word. Let's go ahead and look up. What is this word? Menagerie, a collection of wild animals kept in captivity for exhibition. So that's what that word means. Of course, monkeys can be trained to not move the wrong leg, but it is easier to prevent them from straddling backs in the first place. So who is working for whom? Let us suppose that these same four subordinates are so thoughtful and considerate of their superior's time that they take pains to allow no more than three monkeys to leap from each of their backs to his in any one day. In a five-day week, the manager will have picked up 60 screaming monkeys, far too many to do anything about individually. So he spends his subordinate imposed time juggling his priorities. Late Friday afternoon, the manager in his office with the door closed for privacy so he can contemplate the situation while his subordinates are waiting outside to get their last chance before the weekend to remind them that he will have to finish or cut bait. Imagine what they are saying to one another about the manager as they wait. What a bottleneck. He just can't make up his mind. How anyone ever got that high up in our company without being able to make a decision, I'll never know. Worst of all, the reason the manager cannot make any of these next moves is that his time is almost entirely eaten up by meeting his own boss-imposed and system-imposed requirements. To control these tasks, he needs discretionary time that is in turn denied him when he is preoccupied with all these monkeys. The manager is caught in a vicious circle. But time is a wasting, an understatement. The manager calls his secretary on the intercom and instructs her to tell his subordinates that he won't be able to see them until Monday morning. At 7 p.m., he drives home, intending with firm resolve to return to the office tomorrow to get caught up over the weekend. He returns bright and early the next day, only to see on the nearest green of the golf course across from his office window a foursome. Guess who? That does it. He now knows who is really working for whom. Moreover, he now sees that if he actually accomplishes during this weekend what he came to accomplish, his subordinates' morale will go up so sharply that they will each raise the limit on the number of monkeys they will let jump from their backs onto his. In short, he now sees with the clarity of a revelation of a mountaintop, the more he gets caught up, the more he will fall behind. He leaves his office with the speed of a person running from a plague. 
His plan? To get caught up on something else he hasn't had time for in years. A weekend with his family. This is one of the many varieties of discretionary time. Sunday night, he enjoys ten hours of sweet, untroubled slumber because he has clear-cut plans for Monday. He is going to rid his subordinate-imposed time. In exchange, he will get an equal amount of discretionary time, part of which he will spend with his subordinates to make sure they learn the difficult but rewarding managerial art called the care of feeding the monkeys. The manager will also have plenty of discretionary time left over for getting control of timing and the content not only of his boss-imposed time, but of also of his system-imposed time. It, might, it may take many months, but compared with the way things have been, the rewards will be enormous. His ultimate objective is to manage his time. Getting rid of the monkeys. The manager returns to the office Monday morning, just late enough so that his four subordinates have collected outside of his office, waiting to see him about their monkeys. He calls them in one by one. The purpose of each interview is to take the monkey, place it on the desk between them, and figure out how, together, the next move might conceivably be the subordinates. For certain monkeys, that will take some doing. The subordinates' next move may be so elusive that the manager may decide just for now merely to let the monkey sleep on the subordinate's back overnight or have him return with it at an appointment time the next morning to continue the joint quest for a more substantive? Uh, I think it's supposed to be substantive move by the subordinate. Monkeys sleep soundly overnight on subordinate's back just as well as they do on superiors. As each subordinate leaves the office, the manager is rewarded by the sight of a monkey leaving his office on the subordinate's back. For the next 24 hours, the subordinate will not be waiting for the manager. Instead, the manager will be waiting for the subordinate. Later, as if to remind himself there is no law against engaging in constructive exercise in the interim, the manager strolls by the subordinate, subordinate's office, sticks his head in the door, and surely asks, how's it coming? The time consumed in doing this is discretionary for the manager and boss imposed for the subordinate. In accepting the monkey, the manager has voluntarily assumed a position subordinate to his subordinate. So when the subordinate, with the monkey on his or her back, and the manager meet at the appointment hour the next day, the manager explains the ground rules to this effect. It says, quote, at no time while I'm helping you with this or any other problem will your problem become my problem. The instant your problem becomes mine, you no longer have a problem. I cannot help a person who hasn't got a problem. When this meeting is over, the problem will leave this office exactly the way it came in, on your back. You may ask my help at any appointed time, and we will make a joint determination of what the next move will be and which of us will make it. In those rare instances where the next move turns out to be mine, you and I will determine it together. I will not make any move alone. The manager follows the same line of thought with each subordinate until about 11 a.m. when he realizes that he doesn't have to close his door. The monkeys are gone. They will return, but by appointment only. His calendar will assure this. Transferring the initiative. 
What we have been driving at this monkey-on-the-back analogy is that the managers can transfer initiative back to the subordinates and keep it there. We have tried to highlight the truism as obvious as it is subtle. Namely, before developing initiative on subordinates, the manager must see that what... (laughs) So the manager must see that they have the initiative. Once the manager takes it back, he will no longer have it, and then he can kiss his discretionary time goodbye. It will all revert to subordinate imposed time. Nor can the manager and the subordinate effectively have the same initiative at the same time. The opener, boss, we've got a problem, implies this duality and represents, as noted earlier, a monkey astride two backs, which is a very bad way to start a monkey on its career. Let us therefore take a few moments to examine what we call the anatomy of managerial initiative. The anatomy of managerial initiative. There are five categories of initiative that a manager can exercise in relation to the boss and to the system. One, wait until told, that is the lowest initiative. Two, ask what to do. Three, recommend, then take resulting action. Four, act, but advise at once. Five, and act on own, then routinely report. That's the highest initiative. Clearly, managers should be professional enough not to indulge in initiatives one and two in relation either to the boss or to the system. A manager who uses initiative one, that was the wait until told, has no control over either the timing or the content of boss-imposed or system-imposed time, and thereby forfeits any right to complain about what he or she is told to do or win. The manager who uses initiative two, that was the ask what to do, has control over the timing but not over the content. Initiatives three, four, and five, recommend act, act on own, Leave the manager in control of both, with the greatest amount of control being exercised at level five. And that was where you act on your own and routinely report. In relation to subordinates, the manager's job is twofold. First, to outlaw the initiatives of one and two, thus giving subordinates no choice but to learn and master completed staff work. Second, to see that for each problem, leaving his or her office that there is an agreed-upon level of initiative assigned to it, and in addition to an agreed-upon time and place for the next manager's subordinate conference. The latter should be duly noted on the manager's calendar. I'd say that is more making time than finding time. When we make time for things, we usually feel that we have enough time to do those things versus trying to find time or trying to squeeze something in. There will never be enough time if we live like that. Now, the care and feeding of monkeys. To further clarify our analogy between the monkey on the back and the processes of aligning, assigning, not aligning, assigning and controlling, we shall refer briefly to the manager's appointment schedule, which calls for five hard and fast rules governing care and feeding of monkeys. And it says in parentheses, violation of these rules will cost discretionary time. Rule number one, monkeys should be fed or shot. Otherwise, they will starve to death and the manager will waste valuable time on postmortems or attempted resurrections. 
Rule number two, the monkey population should be kept below the maximum number the manager has time to feed. Subordinates will find time to work as many monkeys as he or she finds time to feed, but no more. It shouldn't take more than 5 to 15 minutes to properly maintain a monkey. Rule three, monkeys should be fed by appointment only. The manager should not have to hunt down starving monkeys and feed them on a catch-as-catch-can basis. Rule number four, monkeys should be fed face-to-face or by telephone, but never by mail. Remember, with mail, the next move will be the manager's. I think that should include email. Yes. I think this was written before email existed. Documentation may add to the feeding process, but it cannot take the place of feeding. Rule five, every monkey should have an assigned next feeding time and degree of initiative. These may be revised at any time by mutual consent, but never allowed to become vague or indefinite. Otherwise, the monkey will starve to death or wind up on the manager's back. There's a quote here, and I do believe it's an excerpt from Stephen Covey's Making Time for Gorillas. So here's that quote. It says, get control over the timing and content of what you do. Oh, no, that's just advice that it's giving. Okay, so there's a link in this article that takes you to the making time for gorillas. That's not what I'm reading now. So back to the article. Getting control over timing and content of what you do is appropriate advice for managing time. The first order of business is, oh, lost my spot. First order of business is for the manager to enlarge his or her their discretionary time by eliminating subordinate imposed time. The second is for the manager to use a portion of this newfound discretionary time to see to it that each subordinate actually has the initiative and applies it. The third is for the manager to use another portion of the increased discretionary time to get and keep control of the timing and content of both boss-imposed and system-imposed time. All these steps will increase the manager's leverage and enable the value of each hour spent in managing management time to multiply without theoretical limit. So the biggest thing I took away from this is boundaries. So boundaries are extremely important in the workplace as far as like leaving work at work and leaving home at home. That is a very big boundary that you can set with something as easy as a tire. A lot of people have work clothes. And then the boundary here as far as responsibilities, I like to think of that as what can I manage to handle with the amount of time that I have chosen to spend on this task. So I might assign myself a task of writing notes for an hour at a time or for two hours at a time. The self-imposed time is that boundary that we set for ourselves. In my case, I'm self-employed, so I can set that boundary for myself, by myself, and then I reward myself. But in terms of people who work for other people, then there's the time differentiations that it mentioned in the article where it talked about um, boss-imposed, system-imposed, and then that self-imposed and that subordinate-imposed. So those are the interesting takeaway as far as who's got the monkey. Whoever has the monkey, I think, is assuming responsibility for the next step. And if you don't have the spoons to take on that monkey and feed that monkey, that's the spoon theory, but we'll come back to that. If you don't have the ability to feed the monkey, don't take the monkey. That's kind of the point as far as we don't want to like fill our plate 
with more than we can handle, throwing all different types of metaphors. But I want to discuss the spoon theory for just a minute. So it's a totally different article. I don't remember the specifics. If you research on a search engine spoon theory mental health, it'll definitely pop up. In fact, I'll type that in right now. Spoon theory mental health. And that way I'll have a reference for this article. So this was uh, Eric F-A-N-A-E-E. Eric Finney, maybe? The spoon theory explains that people living with chronic illness, chronic pain, or a disability have limited energy resources and also expend more energy on everyday tasks than people without illness and disability. In spoon theory, spoons represent both the physical and mental load required to complete tasks. So what I like to say about the spoon theory is one day you might have 10 spoons and you can do all of the things. You can brush your teeth, you can shower, you can go to work, you can engage in those relationships that you want to maintain. And some days you might have one spoon and that one spoon got you to feed yourself. And maybe that's the only thing you have the energy to do that day. And that's okay sometimes. When we don't have the spoons to engage with something, we just don't have the energy or inclination at that time, and that's okay. Sometimes we need to circle back around to make sure the task gets complete, but at any given moment in time, we do make a decision to do what's best in that moment based on the information that we have at that time. So I think it's helpful to cut ourselves a little bit of slack. If something doesn't get done today, we can be confident that it might get done tomorrow or the day after that. So. And then some things just don't matter. Like I'll throw it out there that sometimes people do their laundry in a particular way. And that's wash, dry, fold, hang. Some people don't hang their clothes at all. Some people don't put away their clothes at all. And it's perfectly acceptable if you have a job where it doesn't need to be ironed to have wrinkly clothes, right? So that's where some people do a clean clothes pile, a dirty clothes pile, and that's enough. There's nothing that says that you shouldn't do that in terms of laws, right? We have shoulds that are from society. We have shoulds that are from laws. We have shoulds that are from our family, our friends, and then our own self-imposed shoulds or rules that we live by. And some of those are useful. Like I should brush my teeth and then I have a pretty smile. So I keep that should. But then there are shoulds like if I'm sitting in traffic, I'm like, oh, I should have left sooner to avoid this traffic. Well, that's useless because I can't. I can't go back and leave sooner to avoid the traffic that I may be currently sitting in. So a quick restructure of that thought, a bridge statement, not to be all positive about like, woohoo, I'm in traffic, look at me living, but maybe a bridge about it would be better to not be sitting in this traffic right now. It's a little more time frame oriented as far as the present moment. Right now, it would be better right now not to be stuck in traffic. And so I feel like I have gotten on a total tangent, went from monkeys to spoons to time traveling, and we've looped back around to the end of the episode. So if you enjoyed today's talk, go ahead and click the button to support the show on the website. And remember, I appreciate each and every one of you simply for existing.